Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 66 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today we will be talking about a topic that might make a lot of people uncomfortable because we are going to be talking about excessive bloating and gas in the digestive system and different health issues that might arise from that, such as IBD and IBS. So we brought on Dr. Ken Brown, who is a gastroenterologist, to talk about these issues that a lot of people suffer from, but a lot of people don't really want to talk about. So let's dive right into my conversation with Dr. Ken Brown. Dr. Ken Brown received his medical degree from the University of Nebraska Medical School and completed his fellowship in gastroenterology in San Antonio, Texas. He has been in practice for over 15 years with a clinical focus on inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome. His mission is to bridge the gap between medical and natural science. Thanks for coming on to the show, Dr. Brown. Brian, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on the Summit for Wellness podcast. This is fun. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on the podcast as well. And I would love to hear a little bit about your background and what got you interested in becoming a gastroenterologist because you don't really hear about too many people that want to go down that that route. So I'd love to hear more about it. So... I um, I knew that I was going to be a doctor pro- really early on. I was always kind of into healthcare, and so through high school and college. So when I got into medical school, you kind of make these broad stroke decisions. Am I going to be a surgeon? Am I going to be an internist? And so I really like the cerebral aspect of internal medicine. So I did that as a residency, and then I discovered gastroenterology, and I realized that, oh, my goodness, all health really does begin and end in the gut. And I think that uh, – you know, you, you coach a lot of your clients and you work on nutrition. And we realized that so many problems start in the gut. And I started going down that path and I realized this is exactly what I want to do. So the other beautiful part about gastroenterology is that I get to do procedures on people. So it's a perfect mix of the cerebral and then the actual procedural aspect. So my passion is to sort of fix people from the inside out. And your mission is to bridge the gap between medical and natural science. Has that always been your mission to pull both of those areas together or did that develop over time? That actually developed. um, It developed over time and it's kind of an interesting story. I was my, my son plays tennis and when he was six years old, I took him to his first uh, tennis tournament. And at the time, I was developing a website, and my web developer called me up and said that somebody posted a bad online review. And I was looking into different things. I was doing pharmaceutical research. I was doing a lot of different aspects. And when my, I took my son home, he's six years old, and he, he asked, he goes, Papi, are you, um, we speak Spanish in my house, so he goes, Papi, are you, uh, you, don't like, you don't like tennis? I said, no, buddy, I love tennis. And he goes, well, you're on your phone the whole time. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. That's because... Somebody said that I uh, wasn't, uh, I didn't live up to their expectations. They expected something more, somebody that could do something different. And that's when he just said, why don't you get the patients that like you to say nice things about you? And then why don't you actually do those different things? And it was like in that moment, I went, 
yes, I am. I am going to change this. So I went from doing pure pharmaceutical research and being a traditional MD to then developing a product called Atrontil ultimately. And that became the moment where I said, I need to bridge the gap here. I've lived on both sides of the fence. I've been doing pharmaceutical research. They are missing a lot. I'm looking over at all these natural solutions. They are missing the science. I feel that my my real mission is to bridge the gap between the two. And it all started because a six-year-old basically called me out. Yeah, kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it certainly changed the trajectory of my life. So. so in your practice, have you seen a rise in digestive health issues such as constipation, uh, abdominal pain, IBD, and any other GI issues? You know, Brian, it, it is astounding how many people have digestive issues. And what I am witnessing is an exponential growth of autoimmune digestive issues. We're talking Crohn's disease, celiac disease, ulcerative colitis, and there's microscopic colitis, collagenous colitis. We're seeing autoimmune hepatitis. And then take that. I'm treating a lot of people that have other autoimmune disorders that are affecting their gut. So absolutely, we are in a crisis right now. There is an epidemic of autoimmunity going on, of our bodies attacking ourselves. And I'm seeing it as a gastroenterologist, which tells me a lot of it is starting in the gut. Now, the other issues like constipation, irritable bowel, terms like that, um, people with bloating, 100%. It is all of us as gastroenterologists are just inundated with this. And everybody, it's the, it's the bane of being a gastroenterologist. You want to help people that have these issues, and we don't have any good pharmacologic solutions. That's where the natural world really helps out with this kind of stuff. So unfortunately, something is going on, whether it is environment, whether it is diet, something in the United States is making us sicker than the rest of the world. And you probably see that in your practice as well. Yeah, for sure, especially since I work a lot with food. Uh, we take a look at a lot of foods that people tend to get bloated on or make them really gassy. So as we're diving into that a little bit, have you made some correlations or some common causes for why people are experiencing so much bloating and gas? And um, why does it take people so long to find relief? <laughs> well, the, one of the things about bloating and gas that um, I end up talking to with my patients. I see a lot of patients that will come in. I want to be very, very specific about to differentiate the type of bloating, the type of gas. So let's be specific of bloating that the one that is most frustrating for people that your listeners probably can relate to is that if you get bloated and you feel like the gas is trapped, like you have a bowling ball in your, in your midsection, that's the one that I really specialize in. What I end up doing is I talk to people. If you go on the internet, the internet will sit there and talk about um, all these different causes of bloating, like chewing gum, you know, drinking sodas, drinking CO2, all these things. That creates burping, which is very different. Then you have this other type of gas where people have lots of flatulence. They're passing gas. That itself is a little bit different, and that has a different cause. The one that I that is the hardest to treat and the one that frustrates everybody the most is that bloating where it's trapped. My patients always say if they could burp it up or they could pass it from below, they would feel so much better. 
that's where I did all of my research is to fix that particular type of bloating. So when we sit there and look at this, also my patients will come in and they'll describe bloating. Um, but in reality, what they are experiencing is either water retention or even some weight gain. So I really tease out bloating and gas into different columns and we address them. But the hardest one and the one that I spent the most time with is the one where after you eat, you actually feel severely bloated. The description is always by my female patients. I feel four months pregnant. And that's the one that is the hardest to treat. And that's the one that all my colleagues really struggle with as well. So that feeling of four months pregnant, would that be more SIBO related in, um, or what would that be more related to? Yeah, definitely. So SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That is what my research was on. And that's what I did way back in the day when I was working, uh, when I was doing research for pharmaceutical companies, we were trying to find solutions for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. What I have found is if you come in with a classic history of, look, I was fine. And then something happened. I got sick. I went to a foreign country. I got um, Montezuma's revenge or something. And then ever since then, I've not been right. Every time I eat especially starchy foods, I blow up like a balloon. That is the history that I need to hear and go, okay, there is a high likelihood that you may have bacterial overgrowth or you may have bacteria growing where it shouldn't be. And that is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. A relatively new concept with um, certainly a lot of medical doctors still haven't embraced it yet. I have found that the functional medicine community uh, really embraced it you know, several years ago, and they've really run with that. So the fact that you just threw out, this sounds like SIBO, means that you are very knowledgeable about that. Yeah, we definitely talk about a lot of different symptoms and, you know, different pathways that we can go with um, what might be the cause of those things. Since we're talking about all these different digestive issues, can you start breaking down the differences between SIBO and IBD and colitis and couple other GI uh, issues that you might see in your practice? Absolutely. So SIBO, something happens. You either take antibiotics, you have an infection, you go through a very stressful period. It essentially shocks your small intestine. So think of it like you have this beautiful, clear crystal stream that's flowing, and then something happens, and it shocks that area. Once that area is shocked, then it's almost like damming up this crystal uh, stream and bacteria can start to grow. So now we've gone from a clear flowing stream to a cesspool almost, or basically a stagnant little area. That's what allows the bacteria to grow. So when you eat, the bacteria will actually break down the food before you can, and that's what creates all this bloating. So that's the concept behind SIBO. Now, I deal with other diseases, uh, like autoimmune diseases known as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. What happens there is something turns your immune system on. You have a genetic predisposition and something turns it on. And once that gets turned on, then your body starts attacking your own intestines. Very difficult, very tough. And I deal with that a whole lot, but it's a very different process than what's actually going on if you're just bloated. Here's the interesting link. It now appears that if you have SIBO, you set yourself up 
for autoimmune issues. So in other words, SIBO can potentially lead to Crohn's disease if it goes untreated. And there's incredible literature that's coming out. And I love the fact that I've got scientists I'm working with around the country that are linking the two. They've got animal models showing that if we don't fix, it's more than just a nuisance, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. It could potentially be the cause of why people are developing autoimmune issues. So when we divide the two, and I say that IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, is over here, and I say that IBS, which I'm labeling as SIBO, is over here, maybe they're not as far apart as we think. Maybe we realize that we need to treat the gut early to prevent people from developing these issues. So if you have a listener that's out there saying, well, I can deal with my bloating, eh, maybe we need to treat it to prevent you from developing something else. So when you were talking about um, bacterial overgrowth and you're making this connection that SIBO could be a precursor to um, autoimmune issues, is part of that connection the microbiome and an imbalance of the microbiome that's sitting in the gut? So that connection actually is a little bit different. It's more that the bacteria is growing where it shouldn't be. So when we discuss the microbiome or the bacteria that's living in your colon, when I think of the microbiome, that is your hundred trillion little buddies that are walking around with you, hopefully to help you out. So your microbiome lives in your colon. Their job is to break down different foods that you give them, you feed them, and then they give you beneficial things back. When we talk about SIBO, it's because bacteria is growing where it shouldn't be. It's not so much that bacteria are good or bad. It's just that they're growing where they shouldn't be. So if they're doing that, then the inflammation in the gut can lead to something that on the internet is known as leaky gut on a, a physician or some of my partners probably would not recognize leaky gut as something real, but intestinal permeability is the way that that is. So in other words, leaky gut due to SIBO can result in autoimmune disease. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So can you, um, can you give us some strategies that you would do to start knocking down this overgrowth that's in the small intestine? And what are some strategies to be able to start reducing the bloating, start reducing that stuck gas that people feel that's in their guts, and start improving their health? So common strategies. First thing, I think you and I can both agree on this, fixing the diet is key. So right. I am not a big fan of processed foods. I am not a big fan of, uh, well, quite honestly, foods that have been sprayed significantly with glyphosate. Um, you're familiar with glyphosate, the Roundup that we spray on all our crops. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that a lot on the podcast in the last couple of episodes. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'm not a fan of that at all. And I think that we are now seeing a lot of science where that shows that maybe that is really affecting us on a cellular level. More importantly, it's affecting our bacteria because it is actually an antibiotic. You're essentially taking in a small amount of antibiotic all the time. And when you do that, you can affect your own microbiome, those little hundred million buddies that we walk around with. When I say that you have that you walk around with your little buddies, the um, 
we see a pregnant woman and we go, oh, she's eating for two. I, I tell everybody they need to be eating for a hundred trillion because those guys want to help you out. So first thing I say is get rid of the refined foods, quit opening packages and eating. And because we know that things like gluten or wheat and corn and soy are heavily both modified and sprayed, I try to get my patients to at least try and go gluten-free and see how they feel. And that's like the first step. So we always want to try and do this naturally first. Then the other big thing that people miss, and it is, it, it is catastrophic what it is doing to our health, but we have to sleep. We have to let our bodies recover. Sleeping is something that if you don't have a regenerative time, your gut is affected and your brain is affected. So sleep is ginormous and controlling the amount of stress. When I said earlier that SIBO can be caused by antibiotics infection or a stressful situation, many of us put ourselves in this chronic stress position. And when you're stressed, your sympathetic fight or flight is kicked in, it actually changes the motility of your intestines. It's going to predispose you to bacterial overgrowth. And when you have something like that, you're not getting the full benefit of the foods that you're eating. So you got to fix that. And then ultimately, you got to feed your bacteria. You got to feed those little guys what they want. There is a new term that we are doing a ton of work with right now at, at our company at Atrontil. We're already working with scientists on this. It's a term called postbiotics. Have you ever heard that term before, Brian? I actually just heard about it for the first time yesterday. Oh, no kidding. Okay. <laughs> so this is super exciting. So we've talked about prebiotics. We've talked about probiotics. Now it appears that the real beneficial thing to eating certain foods is that our own bacteria break it down into these metabolic molecules that are fantastic for us. And so we got to feed our bacteria what they actually need. And then ultimately, when somebody has something like that, so I always try lifestyle first. And when we can't fix it, then we start going to supplements. And the supplement that, you know, obviously I have studied, we've done two clinical trials on, we've showed uh, four out of five people are going to get better. We've got 88% quality of life improvement is my product, Atrontil. Start with that. And I really do, in the right patient, I really do see about a 90% improvement in people that were normal, something happened, and now they're bloating. I can fix that. The beauty is the molecules in Atrontil are polyphenols, and they feed your bacteria anyways. And so now we realize, oh, that's why everybody wants to stay on it. These postbiotics are doing a whole lot of good for them. So my... Typical regimen that I try to have my family do, my staff do, I do. Try to eat right, get the gluten, get the um, packaged foods out, the processed foods. R remember that any type of sugar that you take in feeds bacteria, and it also feeds a yeast called candida or candida, and that will produce the backbone for different gases for bacteria. I no longer talk about the microbiome, I talk about the multibiome. And what I mean by that is 
we've got a lot more going on than just these bacteria. We've got yeast that are interplay. We've got small amounts of parasites. We've got several viruses. So the multibiome is going to, if we treat it right, is going to fix us. And then sleep, 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 sleep. The epidemic of poor sleep and obstructive sleep apnea, in my opinion, is creating the diabetes type scenario that we see so much or the syndrome X. And so this is the um, cortisol levels that go up. We develop diabetes. We become obese, all of that. So control the stress. And then uh, if need be, then we try and use a few supplements to try and help the situation out. Yeah, let's talk about uh, sleep a little bit more. What would be considered a good amount of sleep for somebody? And um, for those people that are suffering from a lot of sleep issues, how do you start helping them to get better quality sleep so that it can then better help their gut health? Well, I'll just go ahead and give my own personal experience. So I have snored my entire life, never thought anything of it. I have a ton of energy. I don't... uh, I don't have issues of daytime sleepiness or any of this other stuff. My wife um, has complained about my snoring for 18 years now. And I just kind of laugh it off because I've snored. I mean, roommates in high school and college and all this other stuff. Well, unfortunately, I started uh, putting on a little weight. I got a little frustrated with that. My workouts weren't quite doing it. And I started being a little more receptive to the whole situation that, well, maybe there's more going on. And then I did a tennis tournament with my son, the little six-year-old from the very first story that I told you has uh, gone on to continue to play tennis at a very high level. And so we, we do some traveling and play national tournaments. And I kept him up one night. And that was the um, proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. He said, yeah, you, you snored. So I said, okay, I'm going to get it checked out. As it turns out, I have extremely bad sleep apnea. And I became a convert. I went, holy cow, that is why I've been putting on some weight. That's why my blood pressure has been going up a little bit. And I, I have a sleep apnea machine. And I, I tell everybody, I said, this is um, something that my blood pressure is down. I'm you know, losing a little bit of weight now and all those other things. been doing this for about a year and a half. I went, holy cow, sleep is so important. My anxiety levels went down. Everything just started improving. My Uh, blood work got better and everything. So I just went, wow. So sleep is that important. The biggest thing is, you know, finding there's a lot of really good sleep experts out there. I'm not, I just realized how important it is. Now I listened to some podcasts and my biggest thing about sleep is sleep hygiene. There are different things you can do, but you don't want to sedate yourself. I, been looking at different things that help people sleep. And then you realize, no, it's all about the quality of sleep. So seven, eight hours is what I aim for in the past. When I would wake up really early to try and get my work done for my patients charting, and then I would try and get a workout in, um, I would wake up early to get the workout in. And now I realize the sleep is more important than the workout. If I'm not in bed by nine, nine, nine thirty, then I'll just sleep in and forego the workout because the sleep is more important. The um, idea that even a little bit of alcohol can actually disrupt your sleep because when the alcohol wears off, it makes you tired. It affects your GABA receptors, which is, um, it makes you feel like you're tired. But once the alcohol wears off, you come out of that and you actually break yourself from deep cycles of sleep. So being aware of that is another big thing. And as far as 
making sure that I'll, I'll just tell you what I do. I do, um, I do magnesium every night. I do, uh, melatonin. Um, I tend to have a good response. I know that the studies on melatonin have shown that it's equivalent to a placebo, but I have actually noticed a slight difference with me. And most importantly, I'm extremely aware of it. Now, the polyphenols are also extremely important. Polyphenols have actually been shown to help. That's that whole postbiotic thing. That actually has been shown to decrease inflammation, including neuroinflammation or brain inflammation. And that has helped people go to sleep. So I take a dose of Atrantil when I go to bed as well for that aspect of postbiotic. So I'm um, maybe all of it is uh, helping the uh, the biggest thing is just being aware. I, I make a conscious effort to say, I, I need to go to bed. I need to make sure I get seven, eight hours. So. And since you mentioned alcohol can disrupt sleep, can you also talk about if it disrupts the gut in any ways? It definitely does. You know, unfortunately we have a, a society where alcohol is extremely prevalent, but it has been shown that alcohol can affect the intestinal barrier. It is uh, something that will disrupt the membranes. That being said, moderate amounts, as we get back to everything whenever we discuss this, moderate amounts and the type of alcohol plays a role also. Um, red wine, the polyphenols in the red wine, the tannins in the red wine can actually be beneficial, but in small amounts. When we drink, it's a small, you actually form, I mean, I don't want to geek out too much because it's kind of interesting, but alcohol gets converted um, through a process. You have these enzymes that convert it. And one of the um, chemicals that can be produced is acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde is, you know, the embalming solution. And it's actually a little bit toxic to us. That's what creates some of the hangover effect. And so when we have somebody who is a chronic drinker, they're continually battling a small amount of poison in their body that they're always trying to get rid of. That affects the villi in the, in the small intestine or the area that you absorb. So it can lead to some leaky gut issues also. So it isn't just that the alcohol creates a hangover effect the next day. It can disrupt your sleep, which is horrible, and it can actually affect the intestines. So you're exactly right. It can, it can mess with that as well. Hey, we are back with Dr. Ken Brown. We had a little incident where our audio cut out, so we are back recording, and um, we have Dr. Ken Brown back. Thanks for coming back on. Brian, thank you so much. And I, you know what? I totally appreciate the fact that you felt that our podcast was important enough to keep trying to do a second take on it. So thank you for going through the effort. Yeah, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to finish this off. So, and I definitely want to talk about uh, your amazing product on Tron Till. So can you talk about what is it, what is in it and why does it work so well for GI issues? Uh, so Atrantil, my little baby, and it's kind of hard to pronounce. I get it. It's Atrantil, like, ah, my belly is better. So, you know, the, the whole history of this is that I was doing pharmaceutical research for the last 10 years, and we realized that there was a big hole in helping people with bloating and irritable bowel-like symptoms. Um, anybody that has bloating and change in bowel habits with abdominal pain. When I was doing pharmaceutical research, I was working with different doctors around the country, and there was nothing to help these particular patients. That's when we started looking into natural solutions. 
And because of that, we discovered that there were three main ingredients in a, that we could help people with their bloating and digestive issues. Quebracho Colorado, peppermint, and horse chestnut. The most important being this Quebracho Colorado. So we figured something out that nobody had ever figured out in the entire world. And it was that these three polyphenols work together to get rid of bloating and IBS-like symptoms, including all the other things affected by that, like leaky gut and such. So since we launched about three years ago, we have had some pretty tremendous, tremendous success with people uh, having benefits from both their irritable bowel-like issues and also autoimmune, overall health. And we believe it's because we're breaking down new boundaries where the use of these polyphenols are pretty incredible for overall health. Can you talk about what a polyphenol is and why it's so important for health? So polyphenols are those molecules that make vegetables and fruits colorful. And it's those molecules that they've attributed to being the important molecules in the Mediterranean diet. It, we have always talked about antioxidants. We've talked about different things in our diet. But one thing that as Americans we have not looked at as scientists are these complex, beautiful molecules in the Mediterranean diet called these polyphenols. What these are is that they are actually very complex molecules that when you take them in and you eat them, your body can convert them to powerful anti-aging, anti-inflammatory um, they tell dying cells to go away. It's almost a fasting mimetic type molecule. And we've got a lot of data on all of this. What it comes down to is maybe one of the reasons why the Mediterranean diet is so effective is because of these molecules called polyphenols. That's why I use the term a lot because we ended up developing Atron Teal made out of polyphenols. So we can help people with their bloating, but now I'm realizing that we can help people with other aspects of their life. Is there like a minimum dosage or an amount that people should be getting of um, uh, polyphenols every single day? That's a great question. When I sat there, so one of the advantages of developing a product is that I get to work with scientists from all over the world. And a few of the scientists that are really looking into this, they have shown that if you take a thousand milligrams of polyphenols a day, you can increase your VO2 max, which means that you can actually have better consumption of your oxygen. So your muscles work better under a certain oxygen level. And they have shown that you can increase nitric oxide going to your muscles if you take a thousand milligrams or more. So although there is no minimum daily recommendation by the FDA, we know that there are scientists that are looking at this and probably a thousand milligrams is the thing that you want to achieve daily. And how difficult would it be to reach 1,000 milligrams if you're just eating it uh, from your food or getting it from your food? So I have a lot of patients that are professional athletes, like uh, professional triathletes, professional cyclists. I've got patients in all different walks of life that want to try and maximize this. And when we have calculated this with them, when we try and do it through diet alone, it would be something like uh, five bowls of cherries a couple times a day and wow. yeah it's just too much sugar so that's when we realized that wow if we could augment their training regimen with an increase in polyphenols then we'll be able to you know avoid some of that sugar i 
I personally try and lead a fairly low carb diet. I'm not into refined sugars and stuff. Not that fruits are refined sugars, but if you're not um, an elite athlete, then those, you know, five bowls of cherries will take their toll on you if you're not out there, you know, running marathons or cycling. Right. So Autron Teal, not only is it good for GI issues, but athletes can use it to improve their VO2 max and other areas of their athletic capabilities. Yeah, you know, and Brian, I, I don't want to just narrow it down to Atron Teal. I mean, I love the fact that we have a product that has polyphenols, but the reality is what we have is something that is NSF certified. And what I mean by that is when you look at the products that are on shelves and there was a Wall Street Journal article that came out in 2015 that showed that 80% of the products on the shelves that people buy, the ingredients after they were third-party tested, did not have any of the things that they said they did. So at the very least, a lot of people are buying placebo. And then an article came out this month in the Journal of American Medical Association that showed that 40% of the products that the FDA gave a fine to actually had dangerous pharmaceuticals. So... What I'm talking about is I can say that because we have an NSF certification on our box, we paid to have somebody neutral analyze our product, and it showed that everything we're saying is there. So my point being, you can get polyphenols anywhere you want. Just make sure it comes from a reputable source. We at least have this NSF certification, and... All of my patients, myself, my family, my employees are all on it. And quite honestly, I do believe that it makes all these differences that are being shown. Anti-aging, increased blood flow, possibly VO2 max. But you can also do it through diet. You just have to really hone in your diet to do it. And eat a lot of food, it sounds like. Eat a lot of colorful food, a lot of veggies. Absolutely. Okay, so if someone has an autoimmune issue, such as Crohn's, and is also an athlete, what would a starting dosage look like for someone like that? So if somebody has Crohn's or many other autoimmune diseases, this could be celiac disease, this could be ulcerative colitis, this could be Hashimoto's thyroiditis, a lot of other autoimmune diseases we now realize all start in the gut. So what can happen in the gut is that you end up with inflammation, and that leads to intestinal permeability, otherwise known as the leaky gut. When leaky gut happens, then the immune system turns on, and that's how we develop autoimmune disease. So my typical protocol with anybody with autoimmune disease is to start at two capsules three times a day. And the reason I do that is because I'm assuming that they have the potential to have bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, and we're going to wipe that out. The, the main causes of leaky gut are SIBO, zonulin, and a poor diet, meaning something that has a lot of refined foods that carries glyphosate and all these other molecules that can actually affect our intestinal barrier. You can have control over the zonulin and the SIBO very easily by taking Atrontil. The diet, I think that you counsel a lot of your clients and patients to pretty much avoid refined sugars and the packaged foods. So that can also be done. So whenever anybody shows up with an autoimmune disease, I address it the exact same way. I want to 
knock out the potential bacteria causing this. So we're going to do two capsules three times a day for 20 days, change your diet. And that can be a recommendation that I, you know, encourage people to see people like you to get diet recommendations, but at the very least quit opening packages to eat all of your meals. And many times we reverse autoimmune disease in my patients just by doing these simple things. Awesome. And there's a lot of really good points in there too. Like don't open up a package to eat every single one of your meals. That's a great point. Okay. I have a couple more questions here. Um, earlier we talked about how there are a lot of people that are walking around that have a lot of bloating issues and all this stuck gas in their digestive system. Um, but they don't really know that that could be an indicator of something uh, larger going on within their body. So can you talk about how uh, people should start recognizing these symptoms and start looking deeper into their own health? Yeah, and Brian, that's a really good point because as a gastroenterologist, I get a lot of people that come to me as second opinions and they already have a preconceived notion of what they have. They're like, my IBS is acting up. And when I start talking to them and they're like, yeah, I've lost 20 pounds. I've got rectal bleeding. I've got all these other what I would consider warning signs. And the first thing I say is that's not IBS to me. Some other doctor may have said you have IBS or you have, may have been in denial about that. But the reality is bloating, although it can be related to things that Atrantocum fix, many times we have to make sure that there's not something bigger going on. Crohn's disease can present like this. Celiac disease can present like this. It's a possibility that you actually have a cancer someplace. It's because I'm essentially a second opinion doctor, I get people that have tried other things. And when I start looking, I find a lot of really interesting fixable, and I want to say fixable because I do not want anybody to worry about this. You just have to get in to see your doctor fixable problems. I've diagnosed unique carcinoid tumors. I have diagnosed intussusception, which are tumors in the small bowel. All these things where people came into me and they're like, yeah, I've been treated for irritable bowel for five years. And when they don't respond to treatments like Atrantil or my other treatments, I look them square in the eye and I say, look, I fixed four to five people. If you're the fifth person, let's make sure nothing else is going on. And frequently we'll find something unique carcinoid tumors, um, neuroendocrine tumors, things that typically people don't look for. But that's what we look for when people have warning signs. The warning signs, at the very least, are when things don't get better when you're being treated. Number two, when you change your diet and the symptoms persist. Number three, if you have weight loss, if you have rectal bleeding, and if you have pain that is uncontrolled, don't give up and say, well, my doctor just says it's this. Because if those things are going on, we may be missing something. And I honor when a patient shows up to my office and says that I was told I have IBS, but I've lost 20 pounds. I don't look at them and I go, "You, yes, it's your IBS causing it. I say, okay, well, we've missed something. Let's keep looking. Awesome. And then my final question here is, uh, do you have a morning routine? And if you do, what do you do every single day that helps to prepare you to have the best digestive capabilities possible? That's a great question because I actually am a devotee of having uh, routines. So my morning routine, 
First of all, the most important morning routine is sleep. And that means that I try and make sure that I go to bed at a decent time. I do not look at any electronics before I go to bed. I try and read a little bit of an actual book, not a Kindle, making sure of this because the blue light can actually affect, that can actually disrupt your circadian rhythm. I try and make sure, and I, I know you're asking about morning routine, but I'm telling you that the morning routine starts the night before is guess what I'm getting at. So my night before is you eat and then you let your body go into its circadian fasting rhythm. The Sachin Panda style. If you don't know who that is, have him on your show. Dr. Sachin Panda, PhD, that has all this data on how we don't need to intermittent fast. We need to eat with our circadian rhythm. So after I eat dinner, I used to snack. I used to whatever. Now I'm done. I have water. I don't even have tea anymore. I used to have chamomile tea. But after I have dinner, um, I turn off, I make all my family, I make the whole family unit kind of turn off their devices. We sit on the couch, we watch a little bit of TV, and then we shut it down. And I go to bed, and I make sure that I get at least seven, eight hours sleep. And then my morning routine is to wake up and not have any xenobiotics, meaning anything that my digestive system has to break down until I've had a full 12 hours. And so if I go to bed and my last meal was at seven o'clock and I've had nothing but water, well, I don't have anything until seven o'clock. If it is nine, then it is nine the next day. I do at least 12 hours. So that my morning routine consists of waking up, putting um, some hot coffee on, but I let it wait until I'm a full 12 hours. I do some charts. I like to journal in the morning, and then I typically will do a brief sauna session, and then I go to work. And all of that is built around increasing my testosterone, growth hormone, and playing into the circadian rhythm of fasting is what I like to do. And as a gastroenterologist, I'm sure you have a, a bowel movement somewhere in there as well, correct? Well, as a gastroenterologist, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have several in that period, but um, I'm fortunate. Most of my patients can't do that, or most of my patients struggle to do it. I take fiber the day before. I take acacia fiber, and I take psyllium husk. So, um, yes, my morning routine is so normal to have uh, two to three large bowel movements in the morning that it's my natural rhythm. I take it for granted, and when I have patients come to me and they say they haven't a bowel movement in two days, I look at them like, wow, that would stink. So, yes, you're 100% right. That is, um, if I'm not doing that, then um, my morning ritual is what I consciously do. What happens physiologically is a result of my conscious choices. Does that make sense? Yep, I love it. I love that your morning routine starts the night before too. That just shows that everything that you do throughout the day helps to benefit your next day. So awesome point that you brought up there. Yeah, and I think that you, you know, as a health coach, you know, my big thing is there's there's three pillars and it's gut, you know, brain and sleep. When we fix gut, brain, sleep, people do better. And we know that I have so many patients that if I can just get them to turn that blue light off their phone or they just get off their phone, 
suddenly they're sleeping better and they come in and they're like, everything falls in line. Like, we'll surprise. So don't underestimate the effect of diet, sleep, lifestyle on overall health. Everybody wants to go to a doctor and get drugs. My job is to, although I'm a traditionally trained MD, I do give drugs. I would prefer that everyone do it through lifestyle. And I know that you're really good at helping people with that. So, you know, we're just we're just the same team trying to accomplish the same goal. Right. Awesome, Dr. Brown. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. People can find you at kbmdhealth.com. And if they want to learn more about Ontrontil and receive 10% off of your purchase, then if you visit lovemytummy.com slash SIW, then you can get 10% off of uh, your product there. And all these I want to take it one step notes. further. No, no, no. I want to take it one step further. The fact that you made the effort to come back on, I want everyone listening to go to, it's a lovemytummy.s, what is it? S-I-W. S-I-W. This time on this podcast, everyone go to lovemytummy, S-I-W, because Brian made the effort to come back and finish up this podcast, and I love his integrity and his eagerness to do it. So this time, everyone go there. That's the only place to get Atrantio. Awesome. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Well, Dr. Brown, it was great chatting with you again. Lucky me, I got to hang out with you twice. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. we are we are excited to share everything that you had to say about um, you know, bloating and gas and what to do to help people start to improve their digestive systems because there's a lot of people out there that's suffering from this type of stuff. So thank you so much. No, thank you, Brian. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing to help people. And as I mentioned earlier, we're on the same team. Um, we've got a lot of research going on. I'm being backed by some really cool scientists that we're trying to figure stuff out. So please keep in touch. We have some very interesting science where we're coming out with new stuff. We're helping people. So uh, you keep doing your thing, stay in touch with us, and we'll just support each other. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Like Dr. Ken Brown had mentioned, he has a lot of really cool stuff coming, and we will share that when everything starts to come out. But until then, go and start using his product, Atron Till, because it is a very high-quality product that has a lot of polyphenols. So if you go to lovemytummy.com slash SIW, that is where you can get the 10% off of that product. So go take advantage of that while we have that available. Okay, if you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do make a difference to help us get our podcast in front of more people. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, then it will take you about 20 seconds to leave a rating and review, and it helps us out tremendously. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next time.